Good morning. Welcome to those of you here in person and those worshiping with us online. It's so good to see all of you here, and we are excited to open God's Word together this morning. I'm Nathan Boyette. I'm one of the pastors here at Annapolis EP Church. Before we dive in to God's Word, uh, just two announcements, important announcements related to the life of our church. First, uh, as some of you might be aware, we've had a consultant that's been helping EP with a number of issues, and uh, the leadership of the church, the elders, the deacons, the staff have been digesting that, and there's going to be an upcoming town hall meeting where we want to share some of those things with all of you. Uh, That is tentatively scheduled for March 10th, but more information will be in an email later this week on this specific time and place. The second announcement has to do with our church's financial situation. We want to share with all of you the current financial situation, which is somewhat serious. Giving is currently down 18% from budgeted giving. Now, this is common throughout the United States right now as a number of churches are experiencing significant financial hardship and budget shortfalls. But this is an opportunity for us as a church to prayerfully turn to the Lord in reliance So the church leadership, the pastors, the elders, the deacons, the staff, we're asking that you join with us in prayer for wisdom, for guidance, and for provision. Now, let's turn and focus on God's word and what he has to speak to us this morning. We're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is still expanding and explaining through his but I say to you statements teachings about how our righteousness falls so tragically short of the righteousness that we need, and how we need an external righteousness from him, one that is not from ourselves. That's what we're going to look at this morning, specifically related to honesty and faithfulness. Let's pray. Father God, we do come before you this morning knowing that we rely entirely on you. You are our sovereign Lord and King We pray, Lord, that you would provide for us, that you would be with us during trying times, that we would rely on you as a church community. We pray, Lord God, that you would be with us here right now, this moment, as we hear your word. Speak to us, we pray, through it. Holy Spirit, be present. We pray that you would enlighten our minds and challenge and comfort us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In one of my favorite TV shows from the 90s, Seinfeld, Two of the characters, Elaine and Jerry, go for a week to a beach beach house, to a friend's beach house. This friend, this couple that owns the house, has recently had a baby. However, the baby is oddly ugly. Most people say, oh, how cute are these babies? But for this couple and their baby, almost everybody is aghast at how ugly this baby is. The two parents, though, can't stop gushing about how handsome he is, putting everybody in somewhat of an awkward position. In the course of the week, a handsome, single pediatrician comes to the house to take care of the baby. And Elaine, one of the characters that's there, is in the room with the mom as the pediatrician is looking at the baby. And this handsome pediatrician says to Elaine, wow, you are just so breathtakingly beautiful. And she blushes and is just so happy because this handsome guy has said how beautiful she is. She's delighted until he says to the mom, wow, your baby is so breathtaking. 
And she's, what? Like, I can't believe it. Like, how could he say, I'm beautiful, and then this baby is beautiful? His trustworthiness is put into question. She doubts his words. This humorous story points to the reality of dishonest speech and practices that are sadly so common in us humans. It's not just in funny situations like this Seinfeld example. We live in a fallen and broken world, so we lie, we bend the truth, we dissemble, we fudge the numbers, we spin the story. We do not live with simple integrity. We don't let our yes be yes and our no be no. In John 8, Jesus explains that Satan is the father of lies. Is that not what we see in the Genesis account of Adam and Eve's fall when they listened to the lies that Satan spoke? How Satan twisted and corrupted God's good word and lied to them, and they listened to the lies and sinned and rejected God. Lies and dishonesty and duplicity twist and corrupt God's good creation. It breaks and destroys the harmonious relationships that are supposed to exist between humans. Distrust in America is at a huge, overwhelming high. Distrust in American institutions is higher than it ever has been before. When averaged across 14 institutions, a 2021 Gallup poll showed that 77% of respondents said that they have some or very little trust in America's institutions. These 14 institutions include Congress, the criminal justice system with the courts and police, schools, big business, the military, banks, the health systems, even churches. Averaged across all these institutions, 77% of people responded that they basically don't trust these essential parts of our society. We are in a crisis of distrust as a nation. However, this modern crisis really points to the human sin problem of dishonesty, lies that has existed since Adam and Eve first fell and sinned. And in our passage today, we see the idea that our Lord Jesus, the faithful Savior, calls us to integrity. The Lord Jesus, our faithful Savior, calls us to integrity. We're going to unpack this through three points, faithlessness, faithfulness, and the faithful one. First, faithlessness. At first pass, this passage might appear confusing. Why does Jesus want to expand upon the simple Old Testament commandment explained in verse 33? He says, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Surely this needs no expansion, no explanation. Surely we should not swear falsely, right? This is, of course, something that we should all know and do if we are followers of God. But in verse 34 to 36, Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You see, in Jesus' day, rabbis concocted a convoluted system that twisted the very purpose of oaths. Rabbis argued that oaths may or may not be binding depending on what one swore by. For example, if one swore by Jerusalem, then the oath was not binding. But if one swore toward looking in the direction of Jerusalem, then the oath was binding. 
If one swore by the temple, the oath was not binding. But if one swore by the temple's gold, the offerings given to the temple, then the oath is binding. If one swore by the altar where sacrifices were made, then the oath is not binding. But if one swore by the very sacrifice itself, then the oath was binding. This was convoluted, a mess, and they used this, twisted rules, to degrade the very purpose of oaths. Instead of being honest and faithful, people were phrasing oaths to avoid any consequences for dishonest speech, for dishonest dealings. The rabbi's teachings perverted the very purpose of oaths, which the Old Testament does teach to make oaths. So that the goal was not faithfulness, but rather the goal was getting away with deceitfulness, twisting out of the consequences. The twisted oaths were used to manipulate. They lied and were dishonest to manipulate situations for their benefit. Due to this corrupt system of oaths, Jesus simply says, do not swear at all. Don't make oaths like this. He roots this in the reality that God is the creator and king of all, of everything. So really, there's no distinction in oaths because all promises and oaths are made before Jesus, or God, the king of heaven. That's what the various things mentioned in verses 34 to 36 point to. It doesn't matter if you make an oath by God's throne, the earth, Jerusalem, or even your own hair. God is the creator and king of all. Wherever you make an oath, however you make an oath, it is in before him that you've made that oath and promise. All oaths call God as our witness, for he created and sustains all things. The biblical witness against duplicity and dishonesty is abundantly clear. We could look at numerous passages, but just briefly, in Leviticus 19, which is a chapter which unpacks harmonious living, loving your neighbor as yourself, God says, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Proverbs 11 says the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Proverbs 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Lying and dishonesty is an abomination to the Lord. He hates it. In Colossians, when Paul is speaking to the people of God after Jesus' death and resurrection, the salvation we have, he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. Paul says, we are no longer characterized by the sinful old self. We are new creations, so no longer lie. Jesus' explanation here shows us the reality that our dishonesty and faithlessness is often deeper than we realize. We finagle the truth to benefit us. We make promises with spoken and unspoken caveats, which we then feel free to break at the drop of a hat. Dishonesty has so invaded human society that many of us don't even blink an eye when we see how dishonest commercials and advertisements are. It's just normal to us. From Duracell batteries claiming that they last 20 to 30% longer than other batteries, to Toyota claiming that their RAV4 hybrid can drive further and longer 
than a normal car with a normal tank of gas, to Eclipse gum claiming that not only will it help you with bad breath, it'll kill germs, to Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal not even containing real cinnamon. Yeah. The false advertisements abound. I could give you countless examples. Many of these that I just listed have resulted in class action lawsuits where these companies are having to pay individuals for their false advertising. But even beyond false claims, so many advertisements portray their products in a dishonest but favorable light, laying out the promise of a better and more fulfilling life if only you buy our product. Humans have a faithlessness problem, faithlessness with our words and actions and lives. And so Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount wants us to tell the truth. And for the most part, most of us probably want to tell the truth, right? We don't set out to lie on a daily basis. We don't wake up in the morning and say, well, I'm going to go about my day and I'm going to lie about everything that I can. But why don't we tell the truth? Why do we act so faithless all the time? Well, we're careless with our words. We don't give adequate thought to it. We shoot from the hip. We say things quickly without thinking. And so we have a fear of saying hard truths, which cause us to be too kind in dishonest ways. We fear the consequences if we say something true about ourselves or others, something that shows our weakness, our sinfulness, our inadequacy. We fear what will happen, and so we lie and shade the truth. We are afraid of disappointing others. We don't want to disappoint them, and so we say a small white lie just to smooth over the awkwardness and make the situation feel okay. But if we say nice things to please others, we will still disappoint them down the road. If those nice things are untrue or we are unable to fulfill the promises contained within those nice things, then we will disappoint them. It's better to disappoint them with honesty. Proverbs 29, 25 points to this fear. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Sometimes we are faithless and tell lies because we want to manipulate a situation or a person into doing what we want. There are countless reasons why we lie and are dishonest. Sadly, our faithlessness is often exacerbated by whether the person is powerful and influential or whether the faithlessness is public or private. And so we violate words spoken to the powerless more often, for example, children, than we do to the powerful, our bosses or our supervisor. We renege on commitments that are private more often than we renege on commitments that are public. But Jesus calls us to a whole life integrity. Our yes is to be yes all the time, and our no's to be no all the time. Faithlessness in telling lies is a way of redefining reality. We want reality to be a certain way, and so we lie and are dishonest about how we perceive things. But Christians should be confident enough to embrace reality as it is. Is our situation horrible in the fact that we are sinners and are worse than we imagine? Yes. But is the reality even better that God's grace and mercy and forgiveness is enough to cover all of our sins? Yes. So we should not be afraid of reality. We shouldn't cover up our sin and failure with lies. We may feel that we don't directly and deliberately lie all that often, but we all omit key details. We all squeeze the truth or evade it, exaggerate things for our own benefit, flatter others, tell a small lie, 
or unkeepable promise to please someone in the moment. This is what Jesus is trying to highlight for us. Our yeses are to be yes, our noes are to be no. Lying and dishonesty in the manner Jesus describes in our passage was not just true in his day. We are just as guilty. We can point to many examples, politicians who say something on the campaign trail with no intention of fulfilling it once they're in office, business proposals with hidden costs, budgets where X endeavor is covered over so that the expenses can be made without oversight knowledge. The government accountability office of our government recently did a study of mismanagement and fraudulent expenditures. The numbers are shocking. Billions of dollars misspent. Cheating on tests, schoolwork, survey of 70,000 American high school students showed that nearly 60% admitted to cheating and the same percentage admitted to plagiarizing. Cheating on taxes. Exaggeration. We heighten our sorrow or pain to get more sympathy from individuals. We increase the hours spent on work or the years devoted to something. We put puff up statistics that make us look better. Examples could go on and on of the ways that we are faithless and lie and are dishonest. We often lie and are dishonest in social situations to diffuse awkwardness. Have you ever found yourself promising to have lunch with an individual or to invite someone over or to do something with someone and then you never follow through? We say that statement in the moment to help something feel better, but then we don't intend to fulfill it or we do intend to fulfill it and just life gets in the way. But done enough times is a form of empty flattery. We're all guilty of faithlessness. Hopefully you realize that. We're all fallen, broken individuals desperately in need of God's grace. We sometimes often lie unintentionally, but what Jesus is more concerned is with our heart attitudes. So we are to confess and repent of a faithless heart and attitude, and we are to seek to live lives of simple faithfulness, which brings us to our next point. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, saves us and calls us to something better, to a life of faithfulness, We are called to simple faithfulness, to integrity. And so Jesus in verse 37 says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus calls to such an integrity and faithfulness that any need for oaths disappears. A simple yes or no is enough because people know you will follow through. The Bible's teaching is clear that God's people are called to honesty, truthfulness, faithfulness. Proverbs 24, 26, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. It's equated to an intimate act between loved ones. Ephesians 4.25, Paul writing to the Ephesian church, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He roots the reality of the call to faithfulness and honesty in community. Honesty builds up community. Dishonesty breaks it apart. Peter, in 1 Peter 3, 18 to 12, also calls his readers to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And he roots this call to a unified community in honesty. Quoting Psalm 34, he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. 
Faithfulness and honesty builds up community and one another. Dishonesty tears it apart. God's people are to be a people of simple, straightforward honesty and integrity, faithfulness in their words, their actions, their lives. We're to speak the truth for the benefit of others, to build them up and seek the blessing and flourishing of all society and everybody that we come across. Now, does this mean that we should take no oaths at all? Should we not make vows when we get married? Should we not sign contracts with employers or in business dealings? That's not what it's talking about here. Wedding vows, church membership vows, oaths of service and loyalty to a nation, those are perfectly fine. Luther and Calvin, two theologians who discussed this, distinguish between public and private speech. In private among friends and family, we should tell the simple truth without the need for oaths. But following in God's example, who does make oaths, we can take oaths for the sake of doubting listeners. We live in a sinful and broken world, and so people, because of so much dishonesty, tend to doubt one another. Making oaths allows for human social contracts. In a world where distrust is at all-time highs, where faithlessness and dishonesty or duplicity is common, simple faithfulness, simple integrity is revolutionary. It's world-transforming. Jesus calls his followers to be that revolutionary force of simple truth and honesty, and it will have an impact on people around us. I have a good friend who works for the government in the Census Bureau and for 15 years now, and he told me a story of how recently, a couple years ago, he was in a, with his team, because he's now a supervisor with his team, he was in a uh, a meeting where they were reporting up to their supervisors some work that they had done related to the census. And one of the, uh, the, the supervisor was over the, him and his team were just gushing about the good work they'd done. And this friend said, well, you know, my teammate over here, Linda, she, it was her idea. And she went above and beyond. And the reason why our report is so successful is because of her idea and the good work she put in. This was revolutionary. How often do bosses and supervisors take credit for other people's work in those kinds of situations? And Linda came to my friend and she said, why did you do that? I've never had anybody do that. My friend was able to say, because I'm a follower of Jesus and have a great conversation. We are called to be honest, above reproach in all of our dealings, to have integrity Now, developing faithfulness and learning to act with integrity takes time and practice, and it's not easy. It costs us. It costs us to speak the truth to individuals when it's difficult, to act with integrity when the situation is not beneficial. One commentator, Dan Doriani, says, it is still God's will that we do what we say, especially in solemn settings, when others depend on our words. Even if circumstances change, even if we get a better offer, even if faithfulness becomes difficult, even if the temptation to break a vow seems unbearable, even if keeping the vow brings real loss, even if no one but God will know if we break our vow, we should still do what we say. We should disregard a vow only if keeping it requires us to sin. Being faithful and honest can cost us. Now, speaking the truth in a harsh manner can also be detrimental to the others. And so what we need is a mixture of grace and truth. Truth and grace need to go hand in hand. If we speak truth in a harsh manner, we can be just as damaging to individuals as if we lie. 
In a recent PCA report on human sexuality, which requires a great deal of truth and grace, the authors talk about how our society desperately needs gracious truth. When we both pastor individuals and speak to the world about sexuality and gender today, Jesus is full of grace and truth. In pastoral care, we must not apply the truth so harshly as to be callously alienating or so indirectly that the truth is never clearly grasped. So we need to have grace and truth for individuals. Now, we might be left wondering after all of this, what am I to do? As I prepared this sermon, I felt the weight of this. This is difficult. I am so often faithless instead of faithful. We are so often faithless. We lie. We steal, we cheat unintentionally at times. One commentator says that the longer Jesus' Sermon on the Mount goes, the more difficult he wants us to realize that the righteousness he demands is difficult. He says it is like trying to drink coffee with a fork. It cannot be done. So what do we do? We have to confess and repent and then trust in the faithful one who has proven faithful and saved us. The Sermon on the Mount is meant to drive us to realize the sinfulness of our own hearts and the depths of that sin and the fact that we need an external righteousness, a righteousness outside of ourselves from Jesus that is given to us by grace. Our holy God is the faithful one. Despite our sin and faithlessness towards each other, despite our rebellion against him, the breaking of our vows that we owe him as our creator, he has been faithful The Bible is abundantly clear in this, in the book of Exodus, when the people of Israel, right after God had saved them out of slavery in Egypt, they go and they worship false idols. And God wants to punish them, but Moses pleads with them, please, Lord, no, have mercy and grace on them. And the Lord appears before Moses, and this is what he says. One of the defining statements where God says who he is at his very being The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Our God abounds in faithfulness. Numbers 23, 19, God says, or Moses says, speaking of God, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Our God is faithful in all he does. Not one of his words will prove inaccurate. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant promises and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Our God is the faithful God. What he has promised, he will do. In 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul teaching the Thessalonians says, But the Lord is faithful he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We could point to countless psalms where God is praised as the faithful one on whom we can rely. The Lord is the faithful one where we are so often faithless. And so we can trust in him, trust his promises of salvation. Now one might ask, if we are not to make oaths, why does God then make oaths? Numerous examples exist throughout the Bible, whether it's to the patriarchs, Abraham, Jacob, whether it's to the people of Israel, David, for example, whether it's in the New Testament, God makes oaths and promises to his people. What's going on there? Is it because God is doubtful? 
Well, John Stott, writing on this, says, God does not take oaths because his credibility is in doubt, but because we, having told and heard so many lies, have learned to be doubters. God knows that we need assurance of his reliability. God has made promises. God has made oaths to us, his creatures, and he has and will fulfill all of them. God is the faithful one. He has made promises and kept them. Keeping those promises, proving his faithfulness, cost Jesus his very life. And in Jesus' keeping of the Father's promise of salvation, we are healed of our sin and empowered to live lives of faithfulness. Prior to the railroads being invented in the 19th century, there was no standardized time. And so, even in the same country or region of the country, time was often different in villages. Even villages small distances apart, they were different by four or five minutes based on sundials is how the time was developed. But in 1840, Great Britain adopted standardized time for their railways because railways leaving at different times in one village would connect at a, at, a rail, at a railway connection and have accidents because they didn't know when they were actually leaving because there was no standardized time. So they developed this consistent, reliable, faithful time that was always the same across the, all of Great Britain. And that spread across the whole world, which is why we now have standardized time zones, Eastern Standard Time. Prior to standardized time, t- Train collisions could and did occur. People missed their trains all the time, but standardized time made it possible. And so right around this time, the book Around the World in 80 Days was written. Phileas Fogg wins a bet that he could travel around the world in 80 days to the minute. And he did that because he relies on the unflinchingly consistent and faithful departure and arrival time of all the trains and steamboats. It's a fiction. We all know trains, airplanes, steamboats, they're not that accurate. But our God is even more faithful and consistent than the trains and steamboats of Phileas Fogg. Our God's word is true. What he has said, he will do. And that is why we, sinful, broken, faithless people, can grow in faithfulness. We no longer need to strive and prove ourselves. We no longer need to manipulate the situation for our benefit or to get the outcome we want. Rather, we can rest secure in our God's faithfulness. The fact that he has done what he said he would do. The fact that he has provided the salvation we all desperately need. And trusting by faith in Jesus' finished, secured work, we are saved. Despite our faithlessness, despite our dishonesty, despite our people-pleasing, which leads us to cowardly half-truths or manipulative duplicity, we are saved. We no longer need to prove ourselves to others. We no longer need to make the situation come out for our benefit. Our God is for us. Our God, who is faithful, is for us. And we are united to Jesus, and his good, perfect, spotless record is now ours by faith. We stand before the Father, beloved and holy. This reality is true. We don't need to redefine reality to make ourselves look better anymore. We can rest in that salvation and live with simple, faithful integrity. And then, when we fail, we don't need to hide our sin with lies. We can confess and repent to others and to our God with confidence that he will faithfully forgive us and accept us. 
because Jesus has already secured an everlasting relationship with our Father. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning so thankful that you are the faithful one who saves us. You are the one who saw our sin, saw our rejection of you, saw the ways we lie and act with duplicity. You didn't turn away in disgust, but you turned towards us with compassion, mercy, dying in our place, Lord Jesus, so that we might have new life. Lord God, we confess and repent of the many ways we lie, the many ways we act faithless. It grieves us, Lord God. We see the ways it has broken relationship with you, with others. So we plead, Lord God, that you might transform and change us. Thank you that our sins are taken away. We have your spotless record. We no longer need to redefine reality because you have made Jesus's spotless record our reality. We pray, Lord, that we would live in that freedom, live in that salvation, so we can live with simple faithfulness and integrity in all of our dealings. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing? Yeah.